Hello and welcome to The Huddle. Liam Santa Maria back with you and the grand final is just a couple of days away. Sydney, Tassie, we're here. It's not the matchup anybody expected, but uh, five game grand final series right around the corner. And to break it down, get ready for it. I've got Derek Rucker on the pod, the 1990 MVP and a, uh, a beloved member of the commentary team. So we're going to rip it apart, sit back, relax. Up next, Derek Rucker. Rock, grand final, right around the corner. How you going, man? I'm very well, Liam. And uh, man, it's very exciting. And I don't know where we start, but I don't know how you felt after the uh, game three semifinal uh, between Hobart or Tazzy and Melbourne United. But Liam, I sat there for about 30 to 45 minutes texting, calling my friends with my mouth open. I was astonished <laughs> at what I saw. And, you know, it's great for the league, but I'm still in a bit of disbelief that Scott Roth and his guys were able to pull it off. Yeah, I, I was shell-shocked. I was the same. I was, I was in the arena, sitting courtside yeah. with my man Cam Luke, and it got to that point where, and I think really it was the Josh Adams shot in the corner, and we'll talk about that a little bit. I think that was the one. That was the moment where I thought, oh, my God, it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, and at that until that point, I hadn't visualized Tassie in the grand final. I just hadn't thought it was a realistic situation. Well, uh, full credit to them. I mean, like, uh, I've never seen anything like it in any sport in this country, and I think I'm going on 32 years here, and it's uh, it's great that it's happened in our game. Yeah, it's an incredible story, and it's the cool thing about it is it's them qualifying for the grand final has incredible cut through across the news and sporting landscape across the country. You know, everybody, all the talkback radio stations, it's back page of the papers and, you know, people, um, people who maybe might not have become aware of the NBL yeah. grand final series because they're just diehard footy or rugby or something else fans. Yep. They know that the Jack jumpers are in the grand final and that there's something crazy going on in the NBL right now. Mm, correct. So where are we headed? Well, let's start with this as a matchup. Just like, look, from step back, zoom out, a macro level, we take yourself back to the start of the season, take yourself yep. back to mid-year, Sydney versus Tasmania. How do you feel about that overall as a championship series for NBL 22? Well, no one would have believed either one of us. And, you know, I give you credit because I remember when I was on the podcast early in the season and the Kings were struggling somewhat. It may have even been just before the regular season commenced. And I was talking about how the Kings were struggling and I didn't see them make the playoffs. But Jalen Adams was hurt at that point. And obviously you had done more research than I had. You know, I had done a little bit. But obviously your, uh, your knowledge was a bit more thorough than mine. And you said, Derek, look, this guy is going to change the fortunes of this team when he's in the lineup. And I said, okay, I was a little bit skeptical. Not only was I a little bit skeptical, but I was totally incorrect in my assessment. <laughs> and you were totally correct. This guy is unreal. Yeah. To, have brought in, to have brought in guys like Casper Ware, uh, Bryce Cotton, and Jalen Adams, over the past five years, we have seen three high-level players enter this league. 
And man, Jalen Adams has done something for Sydney basketball that was desperately needed. And hey, kudos to you for picking it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. I'd throw Jerome Randall into that kind Jerome of mix Randall, as well. Yes. Yeah, midway yes. through that 2017 season, those midseason pickups. Now, Adams wasn't midseason, right? But coming into the year, he, the Kings weren't the only team that were on Jalen Adams in the offseason. His right. agent clearly had sort of put out, all right, look, let's look at Australia and let's, he, he could potentially be available. So at that point, once I got wind that there were a few teams into him, I started watching his tape and looking into him. And I was like, I'm all in on this guy. I'm 100% all in. Like he's just, I mean, go back to that G League season with Chase Buford at Wisconsin Herd. Yes. Remarkable situation. He finished runner up in MVP voting to Frank Mason, who was his teammate. They were the backcourt and they finished first and second in MVP voting for the G League. They were going to win the championship. It got, run, it got stopped by COVID. Um, he's that kind of guy who is an NBA level talent, mm. but he's not a role player. He's a stud and he's always yep. been a stud. And maybe that has kind of kept him from fully breaking in and just making a career in the NBA. Because as you know, there are only a handful of studs at that exactly. level. And it's very, it's very tough. And he went to, if I'm not mistaken, he went to St. Bonaventures, St. Bonaventures, which is in the Atlantic 10, which is a school that Davidson regularly pounds on. We've had this conversation, Jalen and I. Uh Um, So I'm taking a little bit of, you know, making a little bit of fun of him. But look, that's a, that's a very good basketball conference, but a conference in which he was a star. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, Liam, it's tough to constrict your role and your capabilities when you're trying to make the leap to the NBA, you've almost got to teach yourself a new role. A lot of guys have gone through it at that level. And while a lot of guys have gone through it, some have fallen into a situation where they're able to continue in that same role, like a Dame Lillard or a CJ McCollum. And sometimes it's just where you are chosen and how much exposure you get in some of that pre-draft stuff. There's no, there's no, no doubt in my mind that Jalen Adams could be a really good contributor on an NBA team. What do you think? Oh, 100%. Just needs an opportunity. Just needs an opportunity to be a spark plug point guard off the bench. Um, and the, the, the other part that made me all in, like watching the tape and he's a bucket and he's, oh my God, he's just going to destroy pick and roll in this mm. league. Guys are going to love playing with him because he doesn't just score. He also facilitates, ended up lead, leading the NBL in assist this season. But the word was um, that he was a good, good guy. Had these yeah. kind of untapped leadership qualities that maybe you don't see straight away. Um, yes. And I think that's come to the fore this season with the Sydney Kings. You know, Ian Clark has been, you know, Sean Bruce, these guys have been great leaders. But as the kind of on-court guy that they are, that whole team's kind of believes in and ready to follow, he's just grabbed that mantle and run with it. Well, I mean... One of the great signs uh, that you like to see out of any lead guard is the ability to make others better. And I don't know how long Xavier Cooks is going to be in the NBL, but he should be trying to tag on to Jalen Adams because what he has done for him this season, and this is no knock on X because we know he's a tremendous talent, has a great motor, but this was what he was looking for. And, you know, he had nothing to do with this sometimes luck and good fortune comes your way virtue of a franchise making a good personnel decision. And this is what the Kings have done. And now X 
everything looks amazing now. He's starting to even step out and knock down his shot. My only thing is I hope the past couple of weeks haven't taken too much out of him when he was carrying a load, when they had a couple of bodies out of the lineup. But, you know, Cook's, I don't know what you think, but Cook's not making first team all NBL. Over Vic Law? Yes. I mean, I would have voted it that way. On the day of the awards, we had uh, the day before we, we sat down in NBL overtime, put in who you had, and I had Cooks in that spot alongside Joe Lowell Chul. But the, any, that whole front, like all those inside guys, the votes could have gone in a few uh, different directions, right? It was, like, it was so scrambled. Like Darrell Martin, Yanni Robert Franks, Yanni Wetzel, none of these guys are all league this season, but they had all league type, type campaigns. So um, I agree. He, the other question is like of whether Antonius Cleveland was that guy in all NBL first team on the outside or whether a guy like Josh Adams for what he did for Tasmania could have been in there. Um, the, I, I thought Creek got underrated this year and probably a victim of his own success. He still had a really good year. Mm -hmm. uh, amidst a lot of misfortune with that club. Um, again, you know, some personnel decisions that I didn't totally agree that I didn't totally agree with, but I thought Creek really kept them going. And you know, his level is so high now that I thought he was penalized. All right. So Southeast Melbourne, Illawarra, Melbourne, Perth, like let's rip them apart in the offseason. Let's yep. put them there's some takeaways from why they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. Let's stay focused on Sydney and yep. Tassie. What what do you think, before we get into the matchup and how this grand final series is going to play out, what, what does Tazzy's success this year teach us, do you think? It's something that Andrew Gaze, one of our colleagues and I, you know who Andrew Gaze is, don't you? <laughs> we have been discussing this in the game broadcast. Everyone doesn't need to play the same. Stop coming down. Everyone's not Steph. Everyone's not Kyrie. Move the ball, Liam, and run offense and make a team defend you. Everyone's caught up in trying to play quick. That style of play isn't suited to everyone, especially right now when league numbers from the three-point line are down. We had a, This was a really bad shooting year. Now you can say it's the defense or the offense, whatever it is. The numbers aren't good this year. So it's a perfect opportunity for somebody to come in, look after the ball, move it, and be opportunistic with your three-point shooting. And look, Tazzy don't shoot the ball well, but you know what Adams and Majette do? I give these guys credit. They make big shots. They make critical shots. Those guys are shooting in the low 30s from the field. But I tell you, when it matters, I bet mm -hmm. you they're shooting near 50%. And, you know, you mentioned before, Adams hits that running three-point shot where he hangs up in the air bad shot bad shot but at least they had moved the ball mm -hmm. i don't mind a bad shot if you move the ball at least make the defense pay and i think scott roth has done a good job of reading the league taking a little bit of what he learned at perth and in, in terms of possession game mm -hmm. implement with a little bit more freedom and creativity and a bit more flair offensively and he's gotten a perfect result if I were to build um, a team, that is how I would like my team to play. Just real tough physically and mentally. Yeah. He did a great job of, of reading those kind of things um, from his experience in Perth, from understanding the landscape here in Australia and going, okay, 
culture mm. and defense. I'm starting with those two things. Starting yep. with those two things. So he gets down there and, you know, the Wildcats, Trevor Gleason would always talk about um, respect the bloodlines as in let's, you've got you've to play the way Andrew Vlahov played and Ricky Grace and James Crawford because you've got to respect the history of the club. So Scott Roth goes down to Tassie and he goes, all right, we're going to start the Tassie bloodlines. Everyone's like, what? Yeah. This is a brand new team. He's like, no, no, no. We had to find out what's the history of Tasmanian basketball traveled around the state, mm-hmm. brought those guys into the mix. Um, and then he started a, a defense first. Once he got the, t- the team together before anyone else had their team together and they just day after day after day, they drilled what they wanted to be defensively. And then, then mid-season, they tinkered with the offense. And it was exactly what you said. It was, we, you were going to start moving the ball because Josh Adams and Josh Bajet, don't forget at the start of the season, were hoisting that thing. They were garbage. They were terrible. The jet was driving me crazy. I was like, yo, run the team. But I, I get it. They're trying to, you know, there's probably a bit of job insecurity, which is natural. Not to say their jobs are on the line, but it's just natural when you're an imported player coming into a country. You want to impress and make sure that your business is handled. So I get it. But, you know, full credit to them and Scott Roth for having that transparency and figuring that thing out pretty quickly. Mm. But the... And, and it also, you know, we've said for years, like you can turn things around in the NBL in a year, mm. right? Don't, don't, let's try not to, you know, it's not a five-year plan. It's a one-year plan. Let's win next year, right? But this, this is that on steroids because a brand new, I mean, you saw for years during your time in the league, you arrive here in 1990, play for Brisbane, Gold yep. Coast, brand new team in the league, easy beat. A couple yes. of years later, Townsville Suns, first year in the league, they win, what did they win? Like two games or something. <laughs> Yep. Um, the fact that these guys have come in in year one and done this. Now, it's not like they've blasted everyone off the floor. There is a slight sort of Stephen Bradbury to what has happened. Here. Come on, come on. <laughs> come on, man. Come on, man. No, because Why? Because Perth couldn't beat Southeast Melbourne on no, their own court? A, a month out from the end of the regular season, and it's like this battle for the playoffs. And it was all like, who's going to make it out of Illawarra, Southeast Melbourne, Perth? Who's going to be the unlucky one? I said, I said to Pete Hawley in the green room before one of the games, I was like, you know, Tazzy are just sitting back there skating around the rink like Stephen Bradbury. Yep. Because, and if anyone falls over, they're just going to keep on skating. And if, so, if it, so Southeast Melbourne fell over themselves. Yep. Vic Law, now Vic Law doesn't get injured. They make the playoffs. I'm not saying, I Really? They weren't playing that great with him. They're not going to beat Southeast Melbourne. They lost to him in overtime without the third leading scorer in the league. Did you see Milwaukee beat Boston without Chris Middleton? Come on, man. Vic Law stays healthy. I think they get in. And then... Because all they need to do is win one of those final two games. They're winning one out of two. I think so. Hmm. And then... um, And then Chris Golding doesn't play game three. (laughs) <laughs> and Melbourne United are a different beast without, without Chris Gold. I could not even imagine how Chris was feeling. Tearing your calf in warm-ups before game three? Mm. That's, that's a hard one. I don't care how many championships you win. That, that's going to stick with you if you're any type of competitor and having to sit back and watch that. And look, in my, in my brain, I wanted Melbourne-Sydney. I wanted to see that. 
mm. um, for a lot of different reasons. But this is really this is really a, a warm story for Tazzy to get there, and it does a lot. Um, it does a lot for the Aussie battlers out there that want to believe that anything is possible, mm-hmm. and you you know it gives us a lot to run with. And Scott Roth was actually a guy who I looked up to. We were both from the suburbs of Cleveland in high school. Scott was a few years ahead of me. And he was someone um, who I knew about all my junior career and I kind of followed him. And he was actually, when he signed at Wisconsin, um, he was kind of an inspiration for me to realize and to pursue my own goals. And I was like, oh, Scott Roth is going to, he's going to a big school. I was like, okay. That's good. You know, like somebody from the area can get somewhere. Wow. And it was, um, yeah, it was only this year that I finally met him when I did a Jack Jumpers game here in Brisbane. Ironically, it was the week after Shane Hill and I crucified him on the basketball <laughs> show. So that was a bit awkward, but we worked it out. I think um, I think he's happy to uh, be in a situation where Antonio's Cleveland season's over and he's is, is still going just quietly. But that's cool. It's amazing, the game, man, how it comes around in full circle, mm-hmm. like Chase Buford was talking the other day about how his dad, yes, of course, is a legendary executive, but he started his his kind of career there at the Spurs as an assistant coach to Larry Brown. He did. And Scott Roth was on that team in 1989. Um, and then well, in 2000 Olympics, I basically chauffeured RC around to the basketball. And um, yeah, we hung out and my dad was over. So it's... Huh. Uh, yeah, it was it was very fun times. R.C. Buford, Brant Kadeem, we spent a lot of time together during those Olympics. Um, I got cut from that team, Liam, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get into a triggering moment here. <laughs> he didn't have, um, we'll, we'll quickly move on. He didn't have like an 11-year-old chase? No, he didn't have his wife with him. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then also like Chase also coached Josh Majette in the yeah. G League. He's going to go up against him here in this grand final series, but Back on what I was talking about there with the with the Jack Jumpers, they also have not had Will Magne. I know. It's and incredible. in the at the various times when I put a red line through this team, the numerous times I've done that this year, when he went down, that was when I got the red highlighter out and said, "It's it's absolutely it's I'm sorry it's over at this point because he was so important to what they were doing defensively. Incredible that they've just been able to get it done without him." But, you know, that's another adjustment they've been able to make. Because if you look at how McIntosh was playing during that stretch, I was like, hey, yo, it might be time to buy him a plane ticket. He just didn't seem to fit in. He didn't know what was going on. And through Magne's unfortunate injury, McIntosh slowly found his way. And then when I called that game up here and I saw how big and strong he is, and he's quick, he's got some – he's got enough stuff to do with the ball. And every now and then they'll just give it to him in trans and be like, Break somebody down. Play some bully ball a la Barkley. Get on the rim. His shot is good enough from the three-point line. He makes enough of them where you got to go out there and get a hand up. And, you know, I thought he gave JLA a lot of problems. I've seen two people give JLA problems this year. That's Duop Reef for obvious reasons. And I thought the other one was McIntosh. Kind of got into his body and was like, you wouldn't expect JLA to like that type of play, would you? Mm-mm. No, there were times in that, I mean, because I, I had this view in that third quarter, I think, on, on game, yeah. uh, game three, was right there and the physicality with JLA. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not sure he wants that. He doesn't want this smoke. He doesn't no. want to bang with these guys. 
he had a stretch at the start of the fourth where he he went for it and he looked and he kind of raised his game to that level. But over the course of the series, you're right. They they limited his impact brilliantly despite being undersized in comparison. And it's always telling. Like I saw JLA make a move late in the game where he tried to turn the corner and he just didn't have the hip strength and the leg drive. And I think, you know, it's getting banged on, banged on, banged mm. on. And that's what happens. You know, you lose that hip stability. You lose your legs. And, you know, full credit to McIntosh. Because I tell you what, he is not going to be afraid of those guys um, on Sydney's front line. Although, you know, Melbourne pounded, pounded uh, Tazzy on the, on the offensive glass in games one and two. And I thought that was the primary reason, Liam, that they were going to win game three. But Tazzy fixed that. I mean, they still gave up a lot of offensive rebounds. I think they gave up 18 in game three, but they got 16 of their own. And I think McIntosh had like three or four in the fourth quarter on his own that was key in keeping possessions alive. Yeah. And also, I felt in that game three, especially down the stretch, um, their second efforts in those situations, like they were if they gave up the offensive rebound to a Jack White or a Mason Peeling or someone like that, their effort to contest, make the yeah. putback tough. It was, there were very few just like easy catches and finishes back on the rim. But let's be real here, man. They're going against Jarrell Martin, mm-hmm. David Cooks. Uh, who else we got in that front Ooh, line? Yeah. This is a whole different thing right here. And that's no disrespect to the Melbourne guys, but I don't think Melbourne have anyone with the versatility of Jarrell Martin. Mm -hmm. Um, JLA is a very good player and I love him, but he's not quite as polished offensively as Jarrell is. Jack White isn't quite at the level that Xavier Cooks is. And Haporti isn't quite at the level skills-wise that McCure Maker is. So that begs the question then, do the Kings just, do they just have too much firepower? Do they, they've got the MVP and Vasiljevic and Ian Clark coming off the bench and all those guys in the front line. I think that their talent overwhelmed Tazzy back in round 18. They put 103 points on the board. Beat him by 30, right? They were up by 30 at half time. Like completely just blew them off the floor. Shot 60.7% from the field. Highest shooting percentage of any team in any game this season. And I think Sydney's talent in the end, I think it overwhelmed Illawarra over the course of the full 40 minutes of each of those games. They mm. just continued to be able to put points on the board. Jalen Adams goes out. Ian Clark takes over. Vasiljevic keeps getting buckets. Martin Cooks, it's just not... Just a high level guy who can do lots of things in every spot at all times. Does that end up just overpowering Tazzy in the grand final? And is, hasn't DJ been fantastic for the Kings? I think you've got to make a decision and then implement a plan. Do we want to just go after Jalen Adams and, and cut him off? Or do you take out a, co- a couple of other supporting players like a DJ um, and like uh, X Cooks? Do you say, you know, it, that's a tough one and that's a tough decision to make. And that's why, you know, these coaches 
you pay the big money. They got to make these decisions. I think I would probably go after Cooks and Vasilovich. I think Adams is a, is a tough one to try and contain at the expense of perhaps running your own Adams into the ground and not allowing him to have anything in reserve because you're going to need something from him offensively. So I think that the Jack Jumpers, their approach defensively is going to be less about who they're playing and more about who, what they do. What they do. Right? I think they get, because they've been very good in defensive transition for the yep. most part. They get, they put guys back and they, st- and they stop the ball. And you've, you've spoken on the broadcast about Scott Roth, guard your yard, right? And mm. what he, yep. and he said in the preseason to me, he said, uh, defense first, if you can't stay in front of the ball, if you can't keep the ball in front of, me, of you, you don't play for me. <laughs> I love that. It's simple. Yeah. Stop and, relying on the help all the time. Guard your man. And, and I made this point half, half, halfway through game two of the Illawarra-Sydney game, with, and, I, and I was picking on Sam Froling a little bit. He couldn't stay in front of the ball. He, could, he couldn't, when they would switch or when he would force help, now caught in those moments, it's tough, it's hard. Jalen, it's so much easier to sit in that, my seat and say it. But if you can't stay yeah. in front of the ball against the Sydney Kings, you'll lose. That's the challenge. That's the big challenge for what you need to do. And nobody's been better this season at squaring off defensively, sliding their feet, being physical and keeping the ball in front of them and just generally making it tough than the jack jumpers. And the I challenge for them... Liam, they, they better have a plan B because uh, <laughs> if, if, they, if they do their thing and they come out and get walled by 25, mm. okay, well, maybe give it another run in game two because you're going back to your crib you know, and things are going to be different. Things are going to be significantly different when Sydney go down to Tassie. That place has never been, that place has never been an easy road trip, even when they sucked, you know, <laughs> back 25 years ago when they were no good, it was hard going down there and getting Why? A, it's freezing. Yep. Turn some heat on in the venue, please. <laughs> <laughs> and now these current rims, Liam, look hard to me. I don't know, but they look uh-huh. hard, man. Mm. You know how it is. you get it, you go to shoot around, you're like, ooh, it can be in your head. And you know what? They need, somebody needs to go in there and tighten the screw just a little more. Yes. Just, just time, because these games need to be in the 60s and the 70s for the Jack Jumpers to win. But, you know, like, Tazzy did beat them 77-70 down there. They did? And that's the blueprint. That game, Sydney were never able to kind of open the game up at any point and be themselves and, and get out in trans and, and make plays off the bounce. They did have Will Magnay that. That, that was round 10. And he, he, that was his best game. Yeah. Four blocks, six combined blocks and steals. He was a menace as, the, as a rim protector against Xavier Cooks and Joy. He was the answer at the back line of the defense. Yes. The one time they've played Sydney since then was when they got blasted off the floor. There's going to be a sixth man, a seventh man, and an eighth man effect. Not talking about the referees. I'm talking about that crowd. Right. That crowd is going to lose their mind at tip-off. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this is probably going to be, you remember the Townsville Wollongong Grand Final Series, obviously. I was up there calling that game sidelines. That place was a zoo. And yeah. I imagine that 
Tazzy, has this ever happened down there? Have they ever competed? I mean, what, what maybe they want a Sheffield Shield or something? <laughs> I mean, have they? I don't know. Have they? No. Have they for a national championship, Liam? Uh, not that, not that I, I'm aware of. I mean, Launceston City Casino won it in '81, but they didn't play in Tassie. They won it in Adelaide. This place is going to be bonkers. I, I mean, I wish I was down there because I just love feeling that energy. Mm. And I, I have Tassie. I don't know what happens in Game One. I think it's pretty obvious Sydney is going to get that one. But. I find it very hard to think that Sydney are going to be able to handle what they're going to encounter in game two. Hmm. As long as, as long as Tazzy don't let the emotion get the better of them. Oh, I, I can't see them doing that. Can you see them doing that? They, they're just they're, like, they're so they're, disciplined. That's the other so disciplined. So when I, when, again, I'm going to refer to when I did the sidelines and, you know, I kind of, full admission here i use my sideline reporter role as also a, a chance for me to learn and i like sitting in um, on the visiting team's huddles just to see how everyone engages how the coaches handle the modern day athlete you know it's been several years since i last did um the, the media stuff for for the nbl so it's been, it was five years so it, things have changed significantly in that time and I thought Scott Ross timeouts were the most cohesive. The players bought in. The energy was just amazing, like amazing. He and Gorge inclusive without begging. You know, like there's no like, come on in here, guys. Guys just know. Guys want to be a part of it. And he's got that going for them. And it's that culture. And it's like, for guys like me and you that just love basketball, we're so engaged in the purity of it. That's what it's all about right there, man. Everybody pulling the same way. I know it sounds corny. It sounds trite, but it'll put, it'll put goosebumps on you when you see it come to fruition. 100%. Love it. And a massive key to their, to their success this season. He is the leader of that team. They follow him. You listen to what the guys say when they are off individually talking to the media and they are saying his catchphrases that he has drummed in as there's a cult-like yeah. feel amongst that team. And it's a beautiful, and that's part of what's made them a bigger than the sum of their parts. And, and we haven't mentioned this guy yet, but a guy who's getting, who's been bounced around and I never understand why he doesn't stick because all he seems to do is be productive. And I'm talking about Jared Weeks. He comes in the other night and goes, bang, bang. Those two threes were massive. The two biggest shots he's probably hit in his career. I know they probably happened in what the second or the third quarter or something. Huge shots. But again, you know, people overemphasize crunch time. You know, crunch time or a critical stage can happen at any point in the game. And those two threes he hit were massive. Yeah. Massive no. Shots. You know, his 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 mental toughness to stay engaged. Sometimes he doesn't even he wasn't even playing for a while there, Liam. No, you're right. You're right. And and. I love those. I mean, they've done a good job. There, there aren't a lot of teams around the league who have veterans playing limited roles. It's a big thing in the NBA. They do it for years because they've got the money to keep those, to pay those guys what they need to be a veteran presence in the locker room and playing limited roles. Yep. In the NBL, that's usually a young guy who's got very little experience. And in the big moment, who knows whether he's going to be able to handle it. But they have Jared Bairstow, 
He's well, a that, grown man. He's a Derek Rucker basketball guy, Jared Barstow. Very proud of, you know, what he's done. But he knows he knows his role mm-hmm. is to go out there and cause problems for people, throw your body around, mm-hmm. get some get some rebounds. And again, although he's not an NBL veteran per se, he's played a lot of basketball and he's from a basketball family. He knows what the hell is required to win. And he's got his championship from, uh, oh no, he played the championship last year with Perth, right? Uh, nearly. They lost, uh, he nearly. was in that, yeah, he, he played in that grand final series, but yeah. he, he's also um, at a point in his life <laughs> where he's not trying to be anything that he's not. And Jared Weeks is, is that, that kind of same thing. He's at the point in his life and his career where, you know, the Spurs thing where we want to get guys who are, who've gotten over themselves. That's yep. what he's got kind of coming off the bench. Now, I, they've also got a little crazy. Now, I thought you got to have a little crazy, right? Got you got to have one guy. Got to have, have a little crazy and you got to have a little irrational confidence, as Bill Simmons says. And they got that with Steindl. <laughs> well... I thought I thought that little bit of crazy was going to be Jack McVay because he's been that as a younger guy for Adelaide, but he has he has got himself into a, just a beautiful space mentally, I think, and spiritually. Form like this, Liam. Yeah, he's I he's unbelievable. But th- their little bit of crazy for me is Josh Adams, and oh, yeah. he's he's that mercurial talent who they have to. They have to pull the reins in from time to time. They have to pull the reins in on the shot selection just from time to time in certain moments. And they have to pull the head in a little bit when his focus gets all on the officials and things like that. And he loses his, and you got to have, like, you can't all just be Josh Majette, like a coach's extension on the floor. You'll be too vanilla. Josh Adams has that for them. Well, I think uh, Jenny Scream interviewed Scott Roth during the game the other night, and he made an interesting comment about Josh being quite emotional at halftime. And I wanted to know what is like what, what how was he emotional? Was he was he tearing stuff up? Was he crying? <laughs> was he apologetic to the team? Like I wanted to know what that emotion was, you know, because right. you could see it. And he went, he started to go crazy. Then when he found his zone, he started to go crazy, and the guys were like. Hey, yo, yo, let's keep it together. But how many, how many wind up in the game? 30? Yeah, 30. And, and it wasn't a great percentage. And there were some wild shots. There was a wild pass with five seconds to go. Majeth turned around and was like, whoa, <laughs> relax. Let's just see this thing out. But that they need him right at that fine line. Yeah. And, and they've done a great job. Scott's done a great job. Of, of pulling him out. Like I've heard, I've been told uh, from people that sit nearby that on more than one occasion when, when, when he's pulled him in a lot, like pulled him out of the game because he's, he's getting all worked up, they've heard him say something like, um, it's your funeral <laughs> to coach Roth as he comes off the floor. And Roth just kind of stares ahead and pretends he doesn't hear. Uh, but he has that little bit of crazy. And what they also have for me Josh Majetz right now is my favorite player in the league. Really? Because as a point guard, what he's doing for that team is not going unnoticed by me. Because me either. He's doing a fantastic job. Just for, from a control and the tempo perspective, from a uh, from a run the team, from an execute the plays, it all what they're doing offensively. You talk about where they got to offensively and just playing smart and being who they are and doing their own thing. 
so much of that is Josh Majed and controlling the tempo, I think is the, is a, is one of the massive keys to their success because they, when you're not as talented as your opponent, and this is going to be the case in the grand final to a huge extent, the talent deficit and difference between these two teams is massive. You need to, you need to limit the number of possessions. You need to make them slow them down, make them use shot clock, control the tempo, use shot clock the other way, limit the possessions and stay in the game. And Josh Majed is the guy who gets that done. You're correct. And that, that was kind of going to be my next subject of conversation because it's something that, you know, I've touched on before, you know, the lack of tempo. And I put that on, you know, point guard development in juniors, teaching them time, score, tempo, all that type of stuff. I think we've strayed from that too much. But if I'm Sydney, I'm trying to demoralize Tazzy from the jump. I'm coming out pressing. I'm coming out hard in game one. I'm letting them know we're better. We're more athletic. We're more skilled. I'm trying to inflict psychological damage that's going to be series lasting. So when I go down the game to, I know what I'm facing, but I need to, I need to offset that by, by sending them back on that plane down to Tasmania. Tasmania, a little bit scarred and emotionally disrupted. I want them feeling it like, you know what I mean? That they've got to be feeling we got no chance in game two because we've all been there. No yeah. matter how good you are as a player, doubt can always creep in. And they did that in that round 18 game down there in Tassie. Just the, their length and athleticism yeah. and quickness and talent and shooting ability was just overwhelming. And they're up by 10 in with four minutes into the game and they're up by 15 at quarter time and by 30 at halftime and it was all over. And I can see, I can visualize the same thing. A, because we've seen it, but B, because of what we've seen from Sydney over the second half of the year, they could potentially do that at the start of game one. Now, Tazzy's response, and they will be talking about this right now because that will, that, that's what they need to avoid, will be that smash mouth, physical, bruising style that they have been talking about and been doing. They'll say, man, you, man that's tough. Up in that like, first quarter, you're going to need to put some guys on the deck because we cannot let that happen. And you got to be able to put the ball in the hole enough. You know, if it's if it's uh, if it's 21-10 at the end of the first in favor of Sydney. I think they're done. You know, 19-16, either way. 1916, you gotta be, you gotta be in there. I don't expect Tasmania to be able to go out and put big numbers up unless Josh Adams and McVeigh are knocking down threes. Well, um McVeigh, McVeigh's reliable. Reliable as hell. And from three, the turnarounds, the high release. I don't know how he's getting those turnarounds off over more athletic guys. Blocking that, Jack White. The one he shot the other night the wrong way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's been he's been amazing. So I think the physicality, and I equate it to kind of like, you know, the opening, the opening bounce of an AFL grand final. Yeah. And your your eyes are everywhere, like who's running who over? You know, 1989, Geelong Hawthorne, Dermot Brereton, like 
Yeah. If, if that, if that athleticism and quickness and talent starts to become a little overwhelming, those first couple of visits. Now I spoke about this on the broadcast of game one about how Tassie chart those, those plays, they chart those hits. They right. call them, they call them a hello. Yeah. And, and Scott Roth says, we want 25 hellos every game when they're coming down the floor and they're running this line or that line. I want you to say hello. Give them a bump, give them a bruise, give them a hit, yep. make sure that they know you're there. And I think if they will want to take that to a whole nother level in that opening quarter of game one. The other thing that Tasmania could probably look to do on, on made buckets is get into three quarter, contain the ball, um, and just slow Sydney down a little bit, maybe drop into a zone, mix up how they play their defense, and just try and keep Sydney off balance, in particular Jalen Adams. Don't let him find the rhythm of the game and, you know, just, just make him think a little bit more instead of playing so instinctively and getting into the flow of the game right away. Well, what they'll do, they'll, they'll hard show mm. and he'll try and get the ball out of his hands quick, either to the short roll to Xavier cooks or to that opposite big flashing to the elbow. And that'll be, that'll be the game plan from, from Sydney's perspective. But that's what, and, and that's yeah, why I, I don't think I can like that short roll. I think that short roll is a dangerous hit for Tazzy. I've got to tag up on that yep. and discourage that and let that ball get kicked over the top, the slower, long pass, maybe to the corner. I know you're probably giving up a semi-contested three, but I don't like Cooks in a three-on-two situation for Tasmania. That he, maybe Cooks from two years ago, not this Cooks. And so that was the Will Magnet impact in round 10 where they they would pre-switch tazzy and mm. so the guy mag they would make sure magna wasn't guarding the pick yeah the ball screen and he was the man there to tag up and be there on and so when xavier cooks rolls and he catches that or jerell martin it's will yep. magna in front of them yes and that's what they didn't have in round 18 and that and that that was kind of overwhelming for him so Man, it'll be fascinating to see. Can Tassie keep it in the mud, keep it in the 70s, or do the Sydney Kings just run run all over them? Overall, I mean, we both think game one will go to Sydney. So if that happens, there'll be it's just kind of series on. Let's get into it in game two. But yeah. overall, how do you think we we asked Corey um, yesterday on overtime and he wouldn't he wouldn't get off the fence? Oh, because he he's obviously trying to get some political position down in Tasmania or something. <laughs> he's trying he's trying to curry favor with the Tasmanian public. Um, I think this is three one Sydney. Mm. That looks like a, a realistic possibility. Three one Sydney. I hope it's not a sweep. I want to at least see the the locals down in Tassie experience a grand final win. I think, you know, that does tremendous things for basketball on so many different levels. And I think, I think they'll play well enough to merit a win down in Tassie. So game two, it'll be one zip going back to Sydney. And then they, you, you think they'll win it down in Tassie in front of those fans. That'll be crazy. Yep. I, um, my head tells me that Tassie's probably only going to be able to grab one game. Yeah. But my heart just wants them to grab both at home. And and that this go to a game five. Wow, that would be that that would be tremendous. That would be tremendous. Which games are you calling? How many you got lined? Don't up? know yet. Don't oh. know. Waiting oh. to find out. Now, before we finish, late breaking yeah. news worth worth mentioning off off the top here. Um, 
After two seasons at the helm for the Illawarra Hawks, head coach Brian Gorchin has elected to not take up his third-year option with the foundation club. Gorchin's longtime assistant coach, Jacob Jackamus, will step up into the role of Illawarra's head coach. What do you make of that? Well, I thought with the news that Dory Kordahi was stepping down from his day-to-day role, that that probably signaled the end of Brian Gorgian's tenure in Illawarra. Um, You know, there's a few rumors about where he may go. Um, We'll see how that that pans out. Obviously, now the hottest prospect, or one of the hottest prospects coaching-wise in the world. Um, but hey, congratulations to Jacob. He's been mm-hmm. a, a loyal apprentice for a very long time now, and he gets to take over. And um, you know, those are big shoes to fill. To fill, but if anyone knows how to do it, it would be it would be Jacob. Okay, big news. Wait to see how that plays mm-hmm. out with Brian and and where he lands next. Um, thanks, man. This has been great. Great to. It's always a pleasure, Liam. And uh, you know, it's it's great to see you doing your thing. You're. Uh, truly establish yourself as as one of the leaders if not the leading expert on basketball and you know i just enjoy watching you on tv and it's great chopping you up right here on the huddle appreciate it man and i love having you on no better guy to talk talk the game with so uh thanks for previewing the grand final and uh we'll circle back let's see how the the games play out and we'll we'll chew it chew it up again soon all right man not a problem 